Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mysterious AF. I am one of your hosts, Charles, and I am joined by Celesta. Hi! And this is our fifth episode, and tonight we are joined by our friend, Lindsay. Hi! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's it's a special episode, so um, she's here tonight. Lindsay, do you want to give us a little tidbit about yourself, and do you watch paranormal stuff? Do you have any exposure to it? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am 24 years old and I watch a lot of forensic files and love Law and Order SVU and definitely believe in paranormal activity. I love scary movies. I think that there are things out there that can't be explained. I'm not sure what they are, but I don't want to mess with them. Have you ever experienced anything? Um, Got a story for us? Yeah. Not that I can think of, but I just was in New Orleans, so mm. that was a little, like, I didn't want to mess with anything, and I uh, wanted to keep on Marie Laveau's good side kind mm-hmm. of thing, and yeah. Did you um, go to the cemeteries down there? Yeah, we did. But it was during the day, so it wasn't yeah. as, like, cool, but definitely saw her grave, Marie Laveau's grave. Wow. And, I really wanted to do like a palm reading, but I didn't end up doing that. But apparently my friend, though, felt spirits in one of like the voodoo shops. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even go into one of those. They, I mean, they're pretty cool. They definitely like believe in it. And I mean, I guess you have to be really open to it to be able to kind of like feel right. that. But but um, also tourists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, no. they're paying. I mean, I don't want to say discredit them, but I'm just like sure. they—they they know their game, they know it well, and I mean, they believe in it, so they. Sure. Yeah, gonna... I like to be like my thought is like I'd rather you know if in fact they do exist, I'd rather be like on their good side, definitely, and not so, so... cynical. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I know, but it's kind of my thought. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Well, we are very glad you're here. We are talking about the documentary Missing 411, which you can find on Hulu currently. I don't know if it'll be on by the time you hear this. Released in 2017, it was based on a series of books by David Politis. Politis? Politis. Politis. Who is now called, I guess, a cryptozoologist. Used to be a cop, but now his claim to fame is cryptozoology. Oh, really? Cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. Why in the world is that? Because of his reasonings for these missing people, I would assume. But yeah, cryptozoologists study, I don't, study um, cryptid creatures. So like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, they basically dev- devote their life and time to researching um, weird weird things. creatures that <laughs> have not been discovered. There's no, I mean, concrete proof for it yet. Sure. Fun fact. <laughs> Can you go to school for that? You cannot. No. <laughs> Dang it. No, and I do not, not know what the uh, annual salary for a cryptozoologist is. I think you'd have to write a lot of books yeah, and have a lot of people like you. Speaking of books, so once I watched this, I was like, I have to get this book. I've looked into it before. I wasn't able to find it. So I looked. Library didn't have it. Amazon had it. $80 for Missing 411. Wow. $80. But that's a series of books, right? How many books are in the series? I don't know. I thought it was just for one book. Maybe oh. it was. Maybe I didn't pay attention, but either way, it's that's, kind of a lot. That's a lot of money. Sounds like a decent demand, though. I guess. Yeah. I mean, David's got his uh, marketing game strong. Mm-hmm. He made this documentary, so now he's like, buy this 80 freaking dollar book or book <laughs> series. 
Not a bad gig. No. If you can sell a book for 80 bucks. Sounds like a nice retirement. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll go into the intro or uh, the opening. We start out with a woman calling into 911. Mm-hmm. With her son missing. And this was July 10th of 2015. What's the address of your emergency? Um, I'm actually camping in Ledworth. Just outside of Ledworth. Uh-huh. Um, my two-year-old son, um, we can't find him. How long has he been missing? About an hour. An hour? Yeah. Are you by water? Yes. Do you know which campground you're in? Uh, Timber Creek. Hold on. We need search and rescue. Yeah, two-year-old son. Two-year-old son. He's been missing for an hour. And they were camping in Lador, Idaho. Lador, Idaho, And in this part, it's kind of jumping around. It's kind of just introducing you to, I guess, the overall case of this documentary. Because then we go to Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho, where we are introduced to Nate Eaton, Eastern Idaho news reporter. And he is describing um, what we're about to hear as the biggest story of his career. Yeah, he follows this family through this entire ordeal, and we hear from him a lot. And then we also hear from Frank Vilt, mm-hmm. who's there, uh, the private investigator hired by the family. He kind of gives his just little background and general thoughts of the family. Yeah, and then we also meet Chief Deputy Steve Penner, who's with the Limhi County Sheriff's Department. Uh, and he talks about the case, and he says that... Well, it's, it's troubling. You know, I got, you know, members of my search and rescue unit that aren't sleeping too well. They're kind of giving you all these little tidbits to build up the tension, I guess kind of freak you out a little bit. I really liked him, too. Like, through the entire documentary, he is the most... He's almost the most emotional. I mean, the family, you see clips of them crying and whatnot, but, like... Mm-hmm. He feels really bad for them and, yeah. like, for this little boy that's missing. And he is, I mean, he, he seems like a guy who really wants to do his job to the best of his ability. And, I don't know, he was my favorite. Frank was my favorite. Frankly, yeah, Frank was pretty good. <laughs> he <laughs> tells it like it I'm is. Like, he's, yeah, like, Frank. doesn't sugarcoat anything. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's, uh... Very cynical, I guess. Very skeptical. Uh, I, I thought he was... He doesn't bullshit you. So. That's true. But as far as an emotional cornerstone, <laughs> Steve Pinner, he was yeah, very pleasant. And then I think we kind of just learn a little bit more about the little boy. His name is Dior Kuntz Jr. Mm-hmm. And we find out that they're camping at a national park. And it's at the end of this very long, long gravel road. Well, once you leave the pavement, I think it's a little over seven miles of of a pretty rough road. Once you reach the campsite to where they were at, the Timber Creek campground, it kind of just dead ends. I mean, they show the campsite, too. I mean, the campground, I was like, it looks very pretty. It's typical um, and rugged. I've driven through Idaho. Have you guys... Spent time there or camped? No. I've never been to Idaho before, but I thought that was another interesting tidbit was the fact that I think they were the only ones around. 
Yeah. It didn't look like, like, the places I've always camped have been, like, multiple campsites. Right. And this was, this was an actual campsite. It had a, its own fire pit and a picnic table, but mm-hmm. it didn't look like, you know, spot one, two, three. It just looked like one. Yeah. It's like, so do you reserve that, yeah. just the whole campsite for the weekend? I don't know. Because, yeah, it looked yeah. the same, too. It was just kind of, it seemed kind of odd to me that they would have a, this long road With for just one, one campsite. campsite. Yeah. But I don't Either know. Either way, it sounds like they were the only people there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were saying it took, like, you had to drive, like, what, like, five miles an hour or something crazy to be able to drive on that road safely. Yeah. So it sounds like it took a long time, which I think is important to know for later because, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but they do mention how before everything went down, the parents went to go get gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe... Dior was with them at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, well, how long were you out doing that? I mean, I don't know that it matters, but there's right. something else that we paid attention to. Yeah. yeah. And they go on to say that the Coons or this whole family um, arrived very late in the evening. Mm-hmm. It was dark on Thursday, July 9th, 2015, and they went to bed. So I guess kind of a typical beginning to the story. And then they go into listing the persons of interest. Dior Sr. and Jessica Mitchell, the parents of young Dior, uh, grandpa, Jessica's grandpa, and another man named Isaac Renwand, who was a friend of grandpa, who apparently at the last minute decided to go camping with them. Grandpa's creepy friend. Very creepy. (laughs) So creepy. You don't know this at the time when you're watching it, but he, ooh. Well, even before I, we met him, I was like, he's guilty. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, I don't even need to know anything else. Like, he's guilty. Well, and they say how, at the last minute, Isaac decided to join this group of people. And, yeah, he decides to go. Uh, on the day of July 10th, 2015, they wake up and they go to the store, like you're saying, Lindsay. They go to the store for goods. I, who, it's candy for a little man. Also, who does that? Like, who drives all the way out there? Unprepared. And then decide, yeah. Like, right? oh, we got to go back to the store. Like, okay, well, good planning. Right. And they have a camper, so you would think that maybe they go camping Frequently. often enough. Right. But, yeah, that's that's another good point because it's like when you go camping, you always want to have everything ready. Like, you don't want to drive back down this long-ass mm-hmm. dirt road, gravel road. Older road, really. Yeah. Like, you would probably not want to take a smaller car up there. Mm-hmm. They went to this campsite because we find out kind of later that Jessica's mom asked her to go with the grandpa because she's worried about his age and like going. So it's not like he was going to go first. And then Jessica and Dior and Dior Jr. kind of follow along just to make sure grandpa is okay. Right. And it's something, it's a place where they've gone a lot, or at least the or like family. Or grandpa had gone yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like, it was kind of like a tradition, or... So, there had to have been some familiarity there, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they also talk about how the grandpa slept in the camper, so maybe the camper was the grandpa's, because yeah. the family, Dior Sr., Jessica, and Dior Jr. sleep in their Tahoe. And then, I don't... Who knows where Isaac is? <laughs> we don't know. I don't want to know. He was weird. With grandpa in the woods... We don't know. Hanging upside down from a tree. (laughs) We don't know. But then they show kind of a cool graphic of their footprints. So it's this computer-generated campground. 
image, and it shows the footprints of everybody and where they are. And it shows Dior and Jessica and Dior Jr. moving away from the camp, camp spot where Grandpa is to go down where Isaac is fishing, I believe. Yes, because they wanted to see where they... When they went to the store, Grandpa and Isaac catch a bunch of fish. Right. So Isaac says he's going to show them. So they start to head that way, but little Junior Dior decides he wants to stay with Grandpa. Mm-hmm. So he turns around, and they said they kind of watch him walk towards Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And then they go down to the creek. Yeah. They just assume that the grandpa sees Dior Jr. and that he's going to take care of him. Right. So. And they just assume that this two-year-old can find his way to grandpa and go to grandpa instead right. of just wandering off somewhere else. Yeah. I immediately <laughs> thought that was pretty fishy, too. but Or not fishy, but like... Not good parenting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then I also... they The reporter... I can't remember his name. Nate. Nate. He ended up going there. It shows later how... They actually show the campground and it is just kind of like the creek's just down the hill. So like it's, it doesn't seem like it's that much space. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was like a scenario where everybody, was, everybody was in everybody's yeah. view. Right. Yeah. And then it wasn't as like irresponsible as it at least initially sounded, but. Mm-hmm. So then Jessica and Dior go down to the creek. They come back. And Dior Jr.'s missing. Grandpa's like, he was right here. But now he's not. (laughs) Yeah, and Grandpa claims that he didn't go into the trailer or the camper. Frank thinks that he did. Grandfather claims he didn't go inside his trailer. But I believe he did. Frank the investigator. Frank, yeah, the private investigator is like, no, Grandpa, you went into the camper. You probably forgot you were supposed to be babysitting. I see through your lies, Grandpa. (laughs) So this leads them into, obviously, a frantic search. They're panicking. Where's our child? Um, and that leads to the 911 call, which pretty much opens this documentary. See, now and I have, not to argue with you, Charles. Bring it on. <laughs> start searching within 20 minutes, they call 911. But you had an hour. Maybe, but when Jessica's on the phone, she says oh, that the their times. son has been missing for an hour. Hmm. Because they asked, like, when did he go missing? She said an hour ago. Okay. So Well, and the reason that there's, like, some kind of discrepancy is probably because they kept mentioning how they were having trouble getting reception and needing or being able to call them, um, which I thought was weird. Again, I don't, we, we don't know if this is true or not, but I thought that on phones that you could call the 911 emergency no matter if you had service or not. I thought there was some kind of capability. So I thought that was kind of weird right off the bat, too, that they didn't seem to have called sooner. But I guess if it was, in fact, 20 minutes, that's the decent amount of time. Yeah. But I don't know. So that's but yeah, so when she's calling, uh, Dior Sr. is driving down the road to get better reception. He's also calling. Mm-hmm. Who knows how long it was. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever get... A straight answer, yeah. except for what was, like, recorded on the call. But then again, we don't know if they're telling the truth mm-hmm. or... Or maybe she stretched the truth, too, because she's like, oh, he's only been gone 20 minutes. Maybe she thought the cops wouldn't right. pay attention or take it seriously. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if stretching it an hour helps, but... Yeah. So, my next thing is that we get introduced to Kelsey Olson, who is Jessica's best friend. Um, and she's adding her version of the story. Both, I mean, both of them are on the phone. 
with 911 at the same time. You know, my son's missing. Can you help us? And then it's just all been chaos from there. And immediately I'm thinking they're showing this woman sitting in what could be a garage. She's on a row of seats removed from an SUV and there's a plastic sheet hanging behind her like a murder scene. It looks like a murder room. Exactly. Like Dexter. I'm like, what is happening? And I was like, are we supposed to take this woman seriously? (laughs) She's like wearing camouflage sweatshirt. Like, it's just... Idaho, step it up. That's all I have. Yeah, I guess I keep forgetting we're in Idaho. I wanted to call it beautiful Mount Rose. (laughs) But it's, it's Idaho. Apparently this is where she takes all of her guests. Yeah, so come <laughs> fill me in my kill garage. Yeah. <laughs> my first impression of her was, this is somebody who likes the drama. Mm. They're like, I don't know how to describe it. I, I, she was a little too happy to be on camera. Maybe? Yeah, like she was just so invested in it. Like she wasn't like, I'm going to tell it to you like how it is. Like I'm going to talk it up and I, I enjoy being in this kind of yeah. tension. I don't know. Like that was my first impression from this documentary. I mean, I don't know this person at all. I don't know any of these people, right. but But I could see that. My gut I mean, feeling. Granted exciting things probably don't happen around there that often. So I mean not that <laughs> yeah. exciting but terrible. So I mean that could have played a role, but Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like no. Well, because I mean it's kind of like the, like we, like a car crash. You all want to like stop and stare and look and see what's happening and, you know, talk. Oh, I saw this. They saw yeah. that, you know? And yeah. so it's just kind of, I think it's normal. You get caught up in it sometimes. Yeah. 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 But we also get a little background or like a little radio broadcast from coast to coast. Dave Politis, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me, George. All right, Dave, I want to jump right into this. Dior Kuntz, two years old. I mean, you were a cop. If you were investigating this case, uh, abduction is one of the least likely events, right? I I would probably say yes. And the reason for that is, is that the family was in a campground deep into the mountains. There was one very rocky, rough road going in and the same road out. If someone would have driven into that area, you would think that the family would have heard them. And if they would have walked up to the campsite, they for sure would have been seen. It's like, it's like in so many of the other cases, it's like he's plucked out of the sky. It's like just snatched out of the sky. Dave used to be a cop, which I thought was an interesting, I don't know, I, I don't know anything about him, but he mentions that in this interview and he's talking about how people have been vanishing from national parks. And yeah. it reminded him of this decades earlier case. And yeah, Bobby Bizup disappeared. In August, August 15th, 1958, in the Rocky Mountain National Park at Camp St. Malo. Yeah, it was like a Catholic retreat camp thing for young boys, which I'll let you put your own little spin on that. But I'm going <laughs> to I, just, I don't think boys? they specified that it was just boys, but it, yeah, it was a, it definitely I, was a retreat, but. Because there were co ed counselors. Yeah. Boys camp is what I have. But there were female counselors. Well, I think that the initial vision of it was that it was supposed to be a boys camp, and then That's years true. later. Yeah. That's okay. true. The guy that founded it said, hey, this would be a good spot for a boys camp. Yeah, that's true. You're right. But maybe yeah. they had both. Well, and to me, this place looks beautiful. I mean, they, they kind of give you 
the scenery. We're introduced to James Pickering, who's an, a historian of the area. Um, there's this huge statue of Christ, and then you get to see St. Catherine's Chapel, and it's just mm-hmm. beautiful architecture in this mountain vista. It's gorgeous. <laughs> like I was like, I would I totally know. love to go it there. Nice. Right. And then you also get to meet John Davis, who is the caretaker. I'm the caretaker here at uh, St. Catherine of Siena's Chapel on the Rock. This was built in 1935 as a chapel for camp kids through all those years. Lots of camp kids came here. My initial thought was, he looks like a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> like, I would not be surprised I if he's wearing that. a mask and terrorizing people because there might be gold in a mine somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> But he wasn't around when Bobby went missing. Right? No, he was not. Right. Yeah, they kind of, and then they also introduced you to Debbie Francis and Jane Smidjewski yeah. uh, with the Larimer County Search and Rescue. And um, one of them was an actual counselor back in the day. Right. I don't know which one. I, I thought it was Jane. I'm not 100% certain. Was it during that time, though? Because mm-hmm. that was, like, 1958, so, like, Aww. that was a good, decent amount of time ago. They were older ladies. Yeah. But I'm not 100% But you're right. Maybe she was the counsel after that. Yeah, because she, I mean, she didn't look that old, though. Yeah. But then we get a little bit more about Bobby. Bobby Bicep was a 10-year-old camper. He was partially deaf, wore a hearing aid, and he liked to fish. Well, on August 15th at about 6 p.m., Bobby was fishing in the small creek behind the retreat when a counselor approached him and told him it was dinner time. Bobby acknowledged the counselor and started to follow him downhill towards the retreat. As the counselor was walking back, he turned behind him to look, and Bobby was gone. He started following the counselor back on a well-established trail. Mm -hmm. There was like, you know, it wasn't like they were trekking through the woods. There was an actual trail. And it was pretty much a straight line from where he was fishing to the mess hall or whatever. But before he knows it, the counselor looks back and Bobby is just gone. Just vanished. And and almost immediately the search starts. They had about, somebody said like 400 people up yeah. there looking for this kid. And they were all confused how he got lost because, like you said, it's a very defined trail right down to the retreat. Like yeah. they describe it that way. And so. I thought it was interesting too, like. I guess maybe this is what they did back in the 50s, but they drop, they can't find him, can't find him. They drop 5,000 leaflets from a plane or a helicopter mm-hmm. into the area so that Bobby can read them. And they, they say, like, it's written on there, the parents love him and they need him and for him to come home. Yeah. Like, he would just be hiding out in the woods on his own for whatever reason. With no food or clothing. And, <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was weird that, like, why was he fishing by himself? It is kind of weird. I mean, but it, was, it was the in a camp. 50s. Yeah. I guess. But, like, I mean, I don't know that that really matters in this, but that was my first reaction was, like, okay, why is he by yeah, himself, I guess like, they, fishing? They had some downtime, and I don't know. Yeah. That is a good question. I guess they trusted him for whatever reason to be out by himself and i guess you know i mean it was 1958 so i guess they didn't think about child abductor and you know being at a kids camp i but then again he was partially deaf i feel like disability back then was also a lot more like oh like you have a disability we have to take special care of you kind of thing i mean i don't know i didn't live during that time but 
I, I don't know. I just thought that was weird initially, but... But yeah, no, they said that the search went on for like nine days mm-hmm. um, until the 25th of August. 24-hour search, I believe. Yeah. And it's like, you can't find literally anything. anything. Yeah. Now, there were three counselors that were looking for Bobby that entire time, and the following year, they returned. And one day, they walked up the side of Mount Mika right through the boulder field, about 2,000 feet up from the retreat, and saw a hearing aid and bits of clothing. They found Bobby Biceps' remains. And they were hiking through a boulder field, which Mm kind of comes into play in something else we learn later about a different case. But it's a boulder field about 2,000 feet up from the camp. Yeah, so in the complete opposite direction. Right. Bobby was following this counselor down to the retreat. Mm -hmm. His body is found in the complete opposite direction, 2,000 feet up this or in this ravine or whatever. Yeah, in a ravine that had been searched three times mm-hmm. the previous yeah. year is what they how they said it happened. And they go on to say that Bobby, you know, couldn't have been lost. Make no mistake, Bobby could not have been lost. Uphill to Meeker is an exhausting and treacherous hike in spots. Downhill to the retreat is dinner and an easy hike. So they don't know. We don't know why his remains are there and, and why everything was in this boulder field. And then we kind of go back to the radio interview. You mentioned that Bobby is hearing impaired. When you look at the big picture and the number of cases that you have investigated, the fact that he's impaired, it's almost as if that's one of the factors on why they're targeted. And George, that's an interesting point. It seems as though an abnormal number of these people disappear with some type of physical impairment or genetic deficiency. And at one point I'm like, yeah, I mean, I kind of get that, like... I mean, it might make you more susceptible to, I don't know, issues. Like, if you can't think mentally clearly, or if you are stumbling, or I don't, you know know what I mean. Right. If if you have a deficiency. (laughs) Right. And I guess Bobby being partially deaf, you know, you have to wonder, like, did he fall and maybe his, his hearing aid got knocked out, and so then that disoriented him? I mean, or he couldn't hear, maybe a bear sneaking up on him, or right. animal and attack. I don't know. Then again, though, I wouldn't expect a bunch of wild animals to be chilling out around a no. well-established camp. That is also true. That is a, yeah, good observation, because that's good. And yeah, I was going to ask you what your reaction to that statement by Dave, I mean... I mean, it just makes Dave sense. Was, if that... you are impaired in some way, you probably are, if you're out in the wild... I could see you having more trouble. It makes sense. But then I also want to think like, what are the odds? Like how many, well, and I think they give statistics later, but like, it's like, okay, well, how many people have gone missing in general of those people? What percentage were, did, had some disability? Yeah. He doesn't really give us exact numbers. But then again, he says like a majority, but then it's like, I don't know, just the odds seem crazy to me. Like, how you'd have that many people who are disabled (laughs) in the wilderness. Yeah, they're not all trekking through the wilderness. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems kind of odd. So then we go back to Dior with Chief Deputy Steve, who gives this fact that 75% of toddlers um, that go missing are found within four-tenths of a mile. Mm -hmm. Of the last place they were seen. Yeah, of the last place they were seen. Um, and he goes on to say that they, they pulled out all the stops to find Dior. We uh, used dogs to start with some ground searchers. 
starting with uh, the helicopter come in, top-notch crew. I mean, they have FLIR, which is forward-looking infrared for night. This is all these guys do, is this, this type of stuff, search and rescue. And then terrain was so rugged, like, for a two-year-old to get far on foot would just be unthinkable, basically. Mm. So then I have that we're introduced to Trina Clegg, who is Dior's grandmother, mm. um, Jessica Mitchell's mom. And she basically just explains the search again. Mm-hmm. There's no clothes, no flesh, no blood. There's no trace of Dior anywhere. Okay. He's just vanished, like... He teleported or apparated. Apparated? From Harry Potter. <laughs> no, sorry. You've been watching the movies. <laughs> I did not take notes on Harry Potter. I apologize. <laughs> uh, and, and then I have that we go back to Jamie Presswick, the family friend. Uh, and she's they're kind of focusing on Dior's camo boots. And apparently they didn't really stay on well. So if they're saying if someone had picked him up or, you know, abducted him, a boot would have fallen off. Yeah, they should have found some evidence of where he went. Mm-hmm. They just kind of go through a lot more of the search, and people are saying, like, yeah, there was a creek, but, like, every, you know, 20 feet there was a down log or something. Like, if he was washed away, it would his body would have been caught, and people crawled on hands and knees through these creeks. They mm-hmm. checked dens, like bear dens, wolf dens, eagle's nests, because apparently yeah. a damn eagle can... Pick something up, 30, up to 30 pounds. Up to 30 pounds, and he was like 27 pounds or something, which was insane. And it also reminded me of that. The Proposal? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that movie. <laughs> Kevin. I laughed so hard when that little dog was picked up. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but yeah. And they do say there are bears, bobcats, and mountain lions. But again, you'd think there would be some evidence of an animal attack, and they found nothing. Well, and even with the boot, they said that, like, if a mountain lion had gotten hold of him, like, a boot might have fallen off in that scenario as well. So not necessarily just a person. But then I thought it was interesting. The chief said, yes, theoretically, there should be evidence if it was sort of an abduction or uh, animal attack. But Dior was small, so the evidence is small. So you're looking for a boot, you know, a tiny little boot. It's Mm -hmm. camouflaged. And uh, even in clothing, it's smaller because the person is smaller. So he's like, things do get missed and will get missed. But again, you know, you'd think there'd be blood or you'd hear, hear a scream because his parents weren't that far away. So if like a bobcat grabbed him, unless it killed him instantly, you'd think he'd cry out or something. Unless he thought it was a friendly animal, you know. Yeah, and, and he it, walked it. off willingly with it. <laughs> follow me child follow me into the wilderness yeah I don't know that's yeah I have candy <laughs> well yeah he he loved candy they go on to describe how they described that already how he loved candy and so there's the candy trail might be a witch did they look for a gingerbread house <laughs> right right yeah. a house made of candy mm. so and they also make the statement I don't know if this is Nate but they all they say that all the suspects are cooperating, so there was no red flag to the police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're really not suspecting anybody in the camping party at this point. Oh, and then we also hear from Jess's mom again, who says, "Like, you know, I've had to grab her by the hand and go for walks with her and say, 
you, you just have to promise me if there's anything that's going on, you got to talk to me, you got to tell me, you know, and, and those conversations have, have been very clear and straightforward. And she's come back and said, Mom, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I didn't have anything to do with this. Yeah, they go into talking about more about Jessica and, and like a matter of like, well, why was she so calm on the 911 call? And, and I think this is around the time when they are the reporters interviewing them. Three days after Dior went missing, Jessica and Dior Sr. left the campsite to go home. And then, yeah, they do go mm-hmm. into the interview with Nate, which we see footage of. We sat down, and as I do with any interview, uh, especially with a distraught parent, you want to show compassion and kindness, but you also want to find out if they, they might have anything to do with, with his disappearance. Put here, I can't remember when what happened when, but they... Somebody had mentioned how, like, she had gotten her tubes tied. Um, yeah, yes, the investigator. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have that, too. Yeah, and um, about, I don't know if this is a little past what you wanted to talk about, but, but yeah, they mentioned how she got her tubes tied because presumably she didn't actually want children. I know they need money. I know they owe a lot of money in Montpelier, a lot of money for child care. And I know that she had her tubes tied and singed so she could never have reverse, never have their child. And I think she did that because she didn't want children. But there was evidence that she was uh, had a hard time beating with kids. She would leave her kid at daycare and leave them unattended many times. And I've talked to many people that, uh, that brought that out. I guess she already had two kids from, from her ex-husband. And, and again, she appeared calm on the 911 call. But then her mother was like, well, she's always been kind of stoic and not emotional yeah yeah and i don't know the whole interview just seemed kind of like i would think the parents would appear to be more distraught than they were right i was i wanted to talk about that because i my observation was that dior senior he just seemed very at ease and like he was kind of putting on a show what did you i mean what did you think about that well i thought first of all i thought they make kind of a big deal about like, oh, after three days, the parents leave to go back home. But it seemed to me like once you go through this series of events, they I feel like they went back home to make this plea to the news or do like this interview. Jessica looks sunburnt like she's been out forever looking for her child. Dior Sr. at the vigil, they do a vigil that night too, a candlelight vigil, and his lip is quivering. He seems genuinely upset. She's kind of just quiet. I, I don't know. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I, you know, like we have forensic files. A lot of people sit like a lot of people expect people to act a certain way, and when they don't, there's like immediate suspicion. But until you're in that situation, I mean, I'm sure it's if you think about a loved one dying, like you're not crying at all times. I've been to a funeral where I've laughed because you're thinking of good memories or you're talking to family you haven't seen in forever. Like it's not just constant crying your eyes out. So while I, I admit I am suspicious of this family. I kind of get like, they went home to do this interview, to do this candlelight vigil, and then they say that they go back to the campsite to continue searching. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess that's <laughs> fair. Um, I think, I thought that was weird, too, the, the fact that they did a vigil. 
the night of the interview. Like, because when I think vigil, I'm like, that's for somebody that they know for sure is not coming not back. back. Yeah. Why are you having a vigil? Like, I guess if it was for the purpose of getting awareness out there and all that, but I don't know. I thought that was weird too. But then they did mention at the end of that bit that they were going back. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess yeah. that's okay. Um, and maybe that was planned by a family member or something who just thought they were doing something nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It just, Charles. Charles. Well, I was just going to say <laughs> one other thing, since you had talked about Frank, that I thought was really important is Jessica had left Dior at daycare and, oh. like, did not pick him up yeah. mm-hmm. before. Frank's kind of painting this picture. He kind of drops a bomb on you, like... He does. the pri- And that's a private investigator. He's the, yeah, that he's the private investigator. hired by the family. Right, yeah. And so he's kind of giving you this, like, shitty version of her yeah. and, like, and her actions. And, and this is the only time it's mentioned that she's left her son at yeah. daycare. And then he also, I'm sure he said they needed money. They also owed a lot of money yeah. to people. And so. it does, it's a little telling that the PI that they hired is kind of talking shit about him now. Yeah, he's like, d- he's obviously dug he into find? everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you're kind of left with this ambiguous feeling. Like, you're like, okay, well, what's the next part of the story? We need more to this puzzle. Because it's, it is almost, it is like true crime. Like, you want to put it together and solve the mystery. But then they take you to another case. Yeah, we get to <laughs> another case of missing child. Jared... Oh, God. Adadero? Adadero. That sounds good. Yeah. Age three goes missing um, in October 1999 in... Comanche Peak Wilderness. Thank in you. In Poudre Canyon, <laughs> Colorado. Poudre, Poudre. So many big words. <laughs> and we get another introduction... To Rob Osborne and Gareth Watts were hiking. They hike. Oh, yes. And they were hiking the Big South Trail on June 4th, 2003. So almost four years later from when Jared went missing, they wind up in a rock field or another boulder field and they decide to hike up. And Gary or Gareth says, I saw the shoe. Mm-hmm. And they show us a picture of a toddler's pristine sneaker just hanging out in this boulder field. It's really eerie and creepy mm-hmm. to me. Like, how did you guys feel about that? I felt like it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I mean, they go on to talk about it later about how more about the shoe shoes and how it's been three and a half years. Why do they look brand new? Mm-hmm. And that's something the hiker said, too, is like they looked it looked like as if a child could have been standing right there mm-hmm. in them. So that automatically is fishy. So that, that was kind of my initial reaction yeah. with that. Yeah. And then we kind of learn a little bit more about the family. Alan, his dad, owns a resort or a restaurant on the resort? He owned a store, and they okay. worked or the store. store. And I, I don't know. I I felt very bad for him. Like, he was talking about how Jared claimed to be a Raiders fan because he liked the black and so Like, he was just a very... Cute kid. Yeah, cute kid. And I just felt bad for... Like, I could... You could feel his pain and his sadness mm-hmm. and just, like, heartache. And you also get to meet Jocelyn, who was Jared's sister. And she was six years old when Jared went missing. 
as I was younger, my dad will tell me that I would tell him certain memories I had of the hike. As I got older, though, I couldn't even tell you what I told him back then. I, the only memory I have of the resort or that, that whole time period is after Jared had disappeared. We were back at the resort in a room. I, can, I couldn't even tell you where. And my dad was kneeling on the ground crying and I was hugging him. So what happens is there's this Christian singles group. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. (laughs) I bet you do, Charles. (laughs) But they apparently come to the resort specifically to help Alan prepare for the winter in exchange for lodging. So they're to to help the resort um, also stay for free. And they decide that they want to go to a trout farm and... Alan says that Jocelyn can go. And then, of course, Jared, you know, a kid, also wants to go. So this group says, yeah, we'll look after him. We'll take him. You can stay here and have some time to yourself. But I'm sorry. Christian singles group, like, what even is that? Like, these are Christians who are dating within the group? Like, <laughs> Why do you need a group? It sounds like some sort of mega church nightmare. It kind of sounds like a cult. <laughs> a cult. Like well, smears hey, or as something. a single person, to be fair. Please tell us what's that, what that's I feel like. like it's not fair to <laughs> just have activities for couples and or children. Like there is an audience out there who are young adults, who are single, who want to meet other Mingle. single young adults. And I'm I know I am all for that. But just the fact that this group of singles were staying at this lodge for a long period of time, I would think, helping prepare for winter. Praying. Um, a lot of meditation. But, you know, like when I think of a singles event, I think like maybe a week. Weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, the way they're describing this, I, do you help prepare for winter in a day or a weekend? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm all for... Singles, do what you want to do. Go on group trips, but... Maybe this needs to be another documentary looking into whatever church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then... (laughs) We can go undercover. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Lindsay, go. You're single. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thanks. Um, No, it makes me... The way he talked about, or they talked about it, though, it sounded like the father had to be somewhat familiar with this group of people. Yeah, he seemed to know these people pretty well. So, I mean, he seems like a single dad. Yeah. So, he maybe was a part of this or a part of the church that they came from anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because it's like, if you're going to let your six-year-old and your three-year-old go on a hike with this group of people... I would presume you'd have to be, like, right. decently They couldn't have just been, like, yeah, some random group, I would assume. And I think he does say he knew some of the people for years. So, yes. So they end up driving. To get to this trail, they have to drive 15 miles. Yeah. So they don't go to the trout farm that they said they were going to. Oh, see, I thought the trout farm was, like... Okay, so this is no. completely... They end up going completely different places. Yeah, because he said the... He, Alan says the trout farmer is nearby like a mile or two up the road. Oh, okay. Instead, they drive 15 miles further to Big South Trailhead, which I'm like, isn't that kidnapping? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. But I just, it's very, I can't imagine having someone's small child in my care and being like, I'm going to, we're going to go do something that 
is completely different than what we told the parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even like kids, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take them in the first place, but I wouldn't take them somewhere that uh, was different. So then we get introduced to Bill Nelson, who was the Larimer County Undersheriff, which was a title I was not familiar with. <laughs> the church group went up to the Big South Trail. They parked at the trailhead and they started walking in on the trail. They started to separate or spread out as they walked in. Some people faster and slower. Um, One adult with Jared's sister and Jared seemed to be out ahead of everybody else as Jared, as a three-year-old, is running and playing and having a good time. And I believe there was something 10 to 20 minutes worth of time that she lost track. Um, The adult realized I haven't seen him for a while. And when they went up to try to find him, they kept going thinking they would catch up and they didn't catch up. Yeah, so they said that the trail was like a moderate trail. So Difficult. Yeah, a child could walk on it, but you're not going to be moving fast, most likely. And that's why the group spread out was because some people were better at hiking, some people were worse. So some people are ahead, some people are falling behind. Maybe they stopped to make out on the trail. I don't know. Like we said, we don't know what happens on a single strip. But (laughs) didn't they say, though, that the whoever this woman was and the children were ahead of everyone? Yes. Yeah, they did. So it's like, okay, well. Because, and I think they kind of alluded to the fact that, like, Jared likes to run ahead. And eventually she notices... I'm not catching up to him. He is nowhere to be found. No, that was later. They stopped. They made it seem like they stopped and, like, to just chill and chit-chat or something. And then, like, he was just kind of running around. And then eventually she's like, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. And then... They they had that video, and I was like, is that from the actual... Mm, Probably just a dramatism. Okay. Because it looked like him, but... Like, they, I thought they made it seem like they stopped for whatever reason yeah. and then, and then noticed that they hadn't seen him and then were like, oh, he'll, he probably ran ahead. We'll catch up to oh, him. Okay. But granted, keep in mind, this kid is three years old, okay? Three. Why do you... Why are you comfortable with the fact that this kid is alone and, a, and, allow, and like, able to yeah. follow a trail? You On a trail be. where they said, like, one part of it is, like, just sheer cliff basically down to this river or whatever and then they damn fishermen it was reported that he spoke to some fishermen and he asked if there were bears around and he's alone at this point in time he comes across a fisherman and asks about bears a three-year-old boy walking alone or yeah a couple fishermen asking you questions no adult in sight and you're just like nope there's no bears. Yeah. Bye. Bye. It's a child of the forest. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Well, and I think this brings up an interesting point, too. It's like, okay, well, if the sister was there, too, she mentioned earlier that she didn't hardly remember anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, were you not, did you not look after him? Like, do, were you not, pay, I mean, granted, you're six, but it's like. I don't remember anything from I mean, when I was at, six. at I age guess, six, but... I'd push my sister out a window. So sure. I mean, I don't know, but it's like, it makes you wonder too. It's like, <laughs> next podcast. How did you pay attention to. Because you're trying to be an adult. The other kid. Yeah, you're trying to be an adult as a six year old and hang out with the cool kids, right? I think that's the, the Christian age. singles. The Christian singles. <laughs> and you don't care about your little brother. He's a pest. 
And yeah, and like yeah. also you're Christian single, so you're trying to flirt with whoever, forgetting that you brought along this kid. But in a modest way. Right. <laughs> you're leaving your clothes on. I feel like you're leaving a lot of hate for Christian singles. No, it's just this group. I get, because I guess my next <laughs> Because they like, lost a child. Right. <laughs> so like my next part was they um Alan has dozed off watching football. There's a knock at the door. It's the woman. <gasps> There's a problem with Jared. And he's like, what happened? And she says, he's okay. We just can't find him. That is such an asshole. I, I, I just don't wrote panic, assholes. panic, but like, you I, lost your baby. Like, who, yeah, who says that? Like, who treats it like that? Yeah. I. So then Alan takes off down this road. Like, he, to me, he was very restrained. And I guess he's had some time to deal with this. But I was like, these people took my child somewhere completely different yeah. than where they said and he's not and they lose him like yeah like i was like are they not going to be charged with something like ugh. yeah so he goes up there searching doesn't find them they again bring in re- you know searchers and search and rescue eight days of 24 hours search and mm-hmm. can't find a thing james majewski is back on the show uh, and she's working with the canine unit and she, I guess, describes that in three and a half years, there was no evidence found. Mm-hmm. There was no way Jared could have climbed to where his clothes were found. And then we find out more details about what was found at the scene. So <laughs> they found shoes, jacket, his shoes, his jacket, his pants, which were inside out, his skull cap, and one tooth sitting on top of a log. Right, and when I heard this, I thought skullcap like beanie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that too. Yeah, no. Actual skull. They show a picture of the skull. Like, I was kind of like, ooh, okay. creepy. And I know this is jumping ahead, but the dad kept it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Later, he pulls it out of, like, a Ziploc bag. It's in a Ziploc like, bag, yeah. But he has what? every piece of whatever they recovered. He does. And I guess, I mean, that's what you have left. And to me, all I could think of was Blair Witch Project. I don't know, creepy finding pieces of people. Pieces, yeah. Like, it's, where's the rest of them? Neatly on right. the log. And, yeah, sitting on top of a log. So, yeah, they're showing us these pictures, and it's just pretty shocking to me. It was. It was really sad. So. So then Bill, uh, the sheriff's officer, says that he's reasonably sure that they searched that area. There were canine alerts that would go that direction. Now, whether they were right at the scree field or before it, but they were at least alerting up that hill. That's why I'm reasonably certain we searched it because we, uh, when the dog alerts like that, we're thinking, okay, something must be up there. Let's get up there and search for it. He thinks that they would have searched that area, but it sounded like he was kind of just covering his ass at this point. Like he wasn't exactly sure. Right. But hypothetically, they did. Which, okay. So like making a parallel to the last subplot we talked about with with the 10-year-old boy at the camp, that was like 2,000 feet away from where he originally was last seen. And they know for sure they searched that three times. Mm-hmm. But then this one was only 550 feet uphill, and they're not completely sure whether or not they searched. I thought that was... Yeah. I'm just now kind of making this parallel, but mm-hmm. that's kind of weird to me. But yeah. It is weird. And, and then Les... Yeah, Les Stroud, he's 
shown as a survival expert and filmmaker, and he's saying that what's happening is beyond our understanding. Doesn't elaborate on that, he just kind of throws it out there. And then Jane comes back again, and she concludes that it was an animal encounter. Mm-hmm. That's... That's the only thing I could think of. I mean, I don't know what else would be doing this besides a person, given the state of the clothing, which they go into a little bit more, but... They said, yeah, they said animal encounter and that they think that a big cat grabbed him, dragged him up there, buried him, Mm -hmm. waited until the searches left, and then came back. Right. However, I did a little research, aka Googled something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I just Googled... Like, the hunting habits of mountain lions. And I kid you not, the first two sites are like, okay, it's balancedecology.org, mountain lion research, whatever. And then the second one is mountain lions from the U.S. National Park Service. Now, guess what the first site says? They do not dig holes to bury their prey or their kills. Guess what the National Park Service is? They They do. They do. Because the National Park Service is part of the cover-up. Exactly. Well, and then (laughs) the father goes on to say later, whenever he's, like, pulling out all of this evidence that's left, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't buy that because the clothes, the pants were inside out. And so it appears that either Jared himself or somebody else or something else took his clothes off before he was attacked. Before he was attacked, mm-hmm. and because then, there was also no blood, right? Right, no blood or, or uh, mountain lion hair mm-hmm. on the clothes themselves, mm-hmm. and so that would have happened before the attack, and then he would have been dragged up. So if that was the case, then the clothes wouldn't have been found all the way up there right. at the top. And so that kind of like made me think, I agree with him. I, I was like, huh, okay, that makes sense to me because like, how could a mountain lion make this, like these pants go inside out for one? But with the pants, I kind of thought too, like, and I'm not to throw single dads into the bus, but single dad has a lot going on. He's got this group of people he's trying to organize. Now he's got his kid wanting to go on this high, like, did they? It, they were like sweatpants. Did he just throw on pants and not even realize they were inside out? Good point. I mean, yeah. was the sister helping him dress maybe that morning and she didn't care? Yeah. She's only six years old. Like the pants were like meh, but the shoes being a, clean. The shoes were clean. There were no drag marks on the shoes. Yeah, he's there's no scuff marks. Like if he was being dragged away, he was like, wouldn't there have been a mark or the shoe would and have come off? A, they had this top, right? Like yeah, a sweater. the sweater. And there were no, there was no blood or puncture no, holes in that. Yeah. So it it does seem like if he was attacked by something, there should be some sort of evidence. Mm-hmm. And then it's described that Jared's disappearance has yielded no official conclusion from law enforcement. Yeah. Which. Sad. Unsolved yeah. mystery. You don't know. Well, and something else, too, that they said was that. There have only been 14 mountain lion attacks since Since 1915. Yeah. So, again, in that respect, like, I feel like that makes it even less likely that it was a mountain lion attack. I hear constantly about a mountain lion. Yet, when they tested Jared's clothing, there was no mountain lion hairs, no DNA, no blood, nothing on his clothing. So then we get back to Idaho Falls, Idaho where we get an interview with Robert Walton, or Bob, who was Dior Jr.'s great-grandpa. Yeah. 
This was like a frustrating interview for me. Yeah, and he declined to be filmed. So just audio and pictures of him. And pictures, yeah. And the interviewer asks, do you feel any guilt about it? And Bob (laughs) says, well, sure. I think a little. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's very unemotional about it. Like, he just didn't seem to care about his great-grandson. And I don't know what his mental condition is or his mental health, but he just um, does not seem caring at all. Well, and the fact that, like, he's just like, well, I just turned my head away for five, ten minutes. Five, ten minutes from a toddler is kind of long, sir. Right. Well, that and then, like, I think before they had mentioned, like, it had been longer than that, even, that he had gone missing. Or, like, the gap or whatever. And Yeah. I don't know. Well, and it goes back to the private investigator thinking, like, no, you probably did go inside the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Then private investigator thinks that he, I don't, I don't, I guess completely forgot or didn't care or didn't think he needed to watch this kid and yeah, totally. It was like he was there to fish with his friend Isaac and yeah. he didn't really care that this other part of the family was with them. Mm-hmm. But then he flashed to investigative reporter Nate, which <laughs> I don't know. It's like Nate's on the scene. <laughs> it's like a little Nancy Drew, and Nate is going to Isaac's house. Yes. To question him. Knocking on that door. Yeah, and so we get our first glimpse of Isaac, who (laughs) is friends with Bob, um, and he's much younger than I had anticipated him to be. Like, when they start at the beginning, they're saying, you know, uh, the grandpa's friend Isaac came along. Well, I'm like, maybe this is a guy, like, they met at a retirement club, or, like, you know, they were both veterans that met for coffee a couple times a week. I He was just definitely... Not what I expected, and I thought, is he on drugs? <laughs> and we get Frank's opinion, in which I put, I love Frank. I don't and Frank says, he's a strange I duck. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so Frank, like I said, he calls it like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Also, we find out he is a sex offender. Yeah. But they don't say for what. Yeah, that was disturbing. Right. I feel like if it was child something and they knew about it, they would have said here. So I'm guessing it's probably not child related, but... I can't say for sure. Something I have boldly written down, the parents had never met Isaac until this camping yeah. trip. So the child who went missing, his parents had never met the stranger that is going on a camping trip with them. And I don't know. I, I'm i not inclined to like be in a house with strangers oh, yeah. most of the time. or But to go out like camping, like where things could go wrong... People could go missing. It's an easy place to kill people, I would think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's where my head goes first. Like, I could die here. I I'm could not easily gonna go. pick these people off. <laughs> that's how I feel about like going to the gas station. I mean, everything I do, I'm like, I could probably die here. <laughs> Someone's probably plotting my death. Um, and they say that after the morning after Dior went missing, Isaac said, that was my best night's sleep. That's so weird. And we see his teeth. <laughs> or not. Like their own. Which, uh, yep. I, like I, I don't want to judge anybody. But it just really strikes you, like it's yeah. they're they're a wreck. It's worse than the Titanic. Like and it's, you just there's something odd. He's a strange duck. Mm-hmm. He's a strange duck. Well, and it's the fact that like he declined interviews. interview. I mean, he kind of spoke a little bit, but he just really didn't want to be involved. And uh, I don't know. He just looked very suspicious to me. 
But then he does kind of sit down and give him his rundown eventually. And yeah. He does actually come out of his house and... Well, and then this, I kind of thought this was creepy. They're getting more voice clips from the grandpa. And the grandpa chuckles. I don't... <laughs> I really don't know what happened to little Dior in my heart or nothing else. Do you know where little Dior is? <laughs> no. No, I don't. I don't. I really don't know what happened to the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very disconnected. Like, mm-hmm. does he even care? The fact that he chuckles, like... Mm-hmm. Not like the kid is missing and showed back up. The, this kid's been missing for... Uh, yeah. I don't know. It just gave me a really bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Intuitively. Yeah. The, co- the police said that they rule him out just because of his health issues. But, and I don't see a motive for intentionally killing him. And I also don't see him being quick enough to hide the body from the parents if he did kill them, unless the parents decide to go in on it and cover it up. Right. But I just think the grandpa's crazy. I, like, I just... Well, honestly, like, I had that thought of, like, well, what if, like, all four of them were just, like, like, plotted this whole thing? Like, I mean, again, it goes back to motive. And they do kind of allude to that as well. They said, like, well, what if the parents even did it before they went camping and then everybody said that he was there and he never even was there? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why they don't find a trace of him at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very well could be. And I think in an in an interview, Isaac is like, oh, yeah, he was there. But, I mean, Isaac seems like the type of guy who's like... He was probably high or drunk. Yeah. Or easily paid off. Or right, like, yeah. Hey, we'll take you to your next fishing spot. Okay, I'll say whatever you want. Like, Get you some boneless wings at Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. And- <laughs> well, and he said he never... Like, going back to Isaac, like, Isaac said he never looked yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't part of the search party or anything. Um, so it's like, why... Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we get into our next case of evidence. Uh, Samuel Bilkey, mm-hmm. who disappeared October 6, 2006, at Crater Lake National Park, and he was eight years old. Sam apparently was visiting uh, his dad at Diamond Lake Resort, and Sam, we find out, has some developmental issue- issues, uh, possibly autism. And one day they were driving around the crater crazy lake or whatever and stopped at an outlook or overlook and sam takes off running for whatever reason he crosses the road from the outlook and then takes up this ridge dad takes chase but sam is just gone yep vanished and at this time in october in oregon at night it gets below freezing so on the second day, the park service calls in outside help for looking for him. Um, and they actually are overwhelmed with all the help that has come in. There are 174 people looking for Samuel. Along with dog search dogs. But mm. the unfortunate thing is, like, the next day, there's, like, two feet of snow that falls. Yeah. Uh, covering, you know, all track and trace. And then they introduce us to Ken Salazar, who was the Secretary of the Interior from 2009 to 2013. And to me, he just seems kind of clueless. Uh, and I, and there's okay. n- I just no have, thanks Cowboy Obama. Boots. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cowboy <boots. laughs> Yeah, he was appointed by Obama. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, he's, but there's no, um, 
accountability about what goes on in the national parks, according to Heidi Streetman, who started a petition to create a centralized national database in which all missing persons are accounted for in our national parks, forests, and BLM lands. Yeah. So Ken kind of gives us a... a Bullshit. Bullshit. A review of how this parks sort of work. Bunch of different channels when, like Heidi points out, it shouldn't be a difficult thing. Like, why don't we have access to this information? They are the parks that we have to pay to get into. Right. If somebody goes missing, shouldn't we have access to that information? And it's not like it has to be something fancy, but... And they... I think they say at some point, too, like, you'd think they would keep a list because you'd want to know dangerous areas or, right, you know, to warn people, like, hey, there's a cliff. 30 people have, you know, I have to say 30 people have fallen off. But, like, if you know people fall off, maybe you put up a fence or you tell people to be extra careful. Or if you know wildlife's in the area, you put up a sign. Like, it shouldn't be unreasonable that you would want to keep track of dangerous places or areas where people are getting hurt or going missing. Right, yeah. And, Seems I like mean, common sense. And so the documentary itself goes on to say that the National Park Service turned down repeated requests to be interviewed. And at the time this was made, was it 2017? I think this was made in 2015. No, I don't know. Okay. You might be I just I saw on um, Netflix, like in parentheses, or on Hulu, in parentheses, it was 2017. I don't know if that was okay, right. You're probably right. But I mean, I was like, well, I remember... National parks were going to be losing their funding. Like, I I don't know all the details, but I was like, what's going on? <laughs> There's a shift in power and politics, and mm-hmm. or is it something more sinister? Also, at this point, I was like, are they ever going to talk about Sasquatch or Dogman or, or no. portals to other dimensions? Portals. Uh, <laughs> Human to Narnia. <laughs> They've all gone to Narnia. <laughs> Lizard people living under the earth, like... Yeah. But no. No, they, the strongest theory they said for um, the missing Samuel was that he was covered up by snow and then an animal found him. We don't hear from his family. Yeah, this was a quick case. It was just another one thrown out there. And then we get introduced to Beth Patterson, who is a psychotherapist and grief counselor. And she is talking about how Dior Senior. Senior, 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 and Jessica <laughs> are kind of being attacked, and I mean, because people are jumping to conclusions, and so that they, Dior, senior, and Jessica don't have time to grieve because they're spending their time defending themselves. Social media has its upside, but a terrible downside as well. People jumping to conclusions, spreading rumors, and that just complicates the grief so much more. Everything from their looks to their demeanor to how they speak. To which I said, oops. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now I apologize. Yeah. I can't say that I judged the family. I judged Isaac on his looks. I judge everybody. (laughs) So I guess it is on their looks, but I mean, like, just when you... First impressions. Right. First, so <laughs> I guess first impression. And I mean, going into this thinking like their, their child has disappeared, you know, I, I feel like if you're kind of in, not investigating, but just but, trying to figure them out. Like, it's, it's not even just the looks, though. I mean, like once you hear the story, like, and we kind of talked about it, like, well, the campsite wasn't that big, but it the parents, it sounds like, oh, we just told them to go back to grandpa and like. 
Again, did you inform Grandpa that he was coming back to you? Did you see him get to Grandpa? Right. Like, did you just let him walk down a trail back to Grandpa by himself? A two-year-old. Yeah, Yeah. the whole thing just seems weird. Right. For letting a two-year-old just kind of make his own decisions and wander back and hope he gets to a responsible adult. Yeah. And the fact that Grandpa maybe isn't quite with it, maybe you don't leave him with Grandpa. I mean, like... They like seem like f- no-brainers, yeah. but... And I don't want to... I know they're going through something hard, but... It's like the people that leave their kids in a car. It's like, what are you doing? Like... Mm-hmm. Ugh. I don't know. I'm not a parent. <laughs> yeah. I plan on never being a parent, except to many, many cats. And... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's like to... to but I, I feel like with a child that age, I would walk them back to the other responsible adult and say, please watch this one. I mean, and my if, sister needed a tether for a long time. Yeah. A tether. I, I don't doubt a that. Leash. I've seen that many times. I feel like it's effective, especially, <laughs> I don't know, like yank them back. <laughs> so then the documentary tells us that in the first three months after Dior has disappeared, his parents made one media appearance. The parents back out of a bunch of stuff or like don't. We get Frank's. Input, yeah. Yeah, Frank. Frank, the private investigator. <laughs> and he's, you know, why wouldn't they want media coverage? Good Morning America and Nancy mm-hmm. Grace contacted them. They turned them down. Like, you want as much attention to this case as possible as Frank's point of view. I mean, Frank gets so pissed that he stops working for them. Yeah. And removes his, what do you call it, offer of a $25,000 reward. And while this is going on... We're also hearing from Kelsey, Jessica's best friend, and she's interrupted and alerted that she has a text from Jessica, and Jessica's not happy about what's going on. Yeah, she's not happy that she's filming or being on this being pod- on this documentary. Documentary, not this podcast. She's now on this podcast. As yeah. Well. <laughs> so I mean, I thought that was suspicious. It was, mm-hmm. and then Dior shows up. Yes. And she's, Kelsey's lighting up a cigarette and calling Jessica, <laughs> wanting to get her voicemail. Nora shows up. You guys need to know something here about when it comes to Jess. She's an amazing person, but she's never been able to handle stress very well. That's my job. That's my half relationship. She's fine, but she's not. A lot of it is, Jessica's very impressionable. Yeah. So what she's fine with right now, all she got to do is talk to her mom. Her mom can talk her into doing anything. And if her mom is, I don't trust her mother. I don't trust that Bob and Isaac can have something to do with this, and I don't trust that her mother Trina is not trying to hide that as well. So, so you guys did nothing wrong. None of you guys did, and I will fix it. And he says that Jessica is having a fucking conniption fit. <laughs> he's ha- he's using a ton of foul language. This is a damn mess, and it's like <laughs> it kind of starts devolving into something that I was just like, is this real? Like it? Yeah, it sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer, right? It, or something. Well, especially really because they're back in the garage yeah they're back like, in the murder garage where are we well it's like who acts like this on a documentary it's like i, I don't know Honestly, i've never been the subject like of a white documentary. trash i'm yeah. sorry like that your drama whores whether and i'm not saying that they did anything but like i just know people like this and it's like the more drama you can get out of it the better your life is because you have nothing else going on i'm glad you said how you really feel sorry it's i've very... had a lot of wine it's dry as well <laughs> All right, I've been thrown under the bus, so we're going to continue on with this uh, to the next case, which I have as Keith Parkins, 
who disappeared in April of 1952 in Ritter, Oregon, and he was two years old. And we cut to a tape recording with Edna, Keith's mother. He and uh, his older brothers had gone to the barn to see a new calf. And it was at lunchtime, and so I called the boys, and the older two came, and Keith didn't. And so I said, oh, where's your brother? And he said, oh, he went around the barn. And so we went to find him, and um, he wasn't there. We were able to start a search immediately for him. It was long before search and rescue was organized like it is today, but they knew how to search, and so they went within speaking distance of each other. And uh, they searched through the night. And my thought was, this is really great audio quality. I know. Like, super clear. So much better than the moon landing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of um, a different set of circumstances. Keith disappeared at Edna's parents' farm. Not in a national park, or was yeah. it close to a national park? I kind of was wondering about that, too. Yeah, and so they found Keith's footprints three miles away. Um, okay. And then his body was found five miles away. Um, he disappeared around lunchtime. He was found 7 o'clock the next morning. So there was 19 hours, and he had traveled 8 miles. Yeah, because he walked... When they found his footprints, they were, like, in one direction, and then he was found another 5 to miles in... 5 miles in a complete yeah. opposite direction. And so Les, the survivalist from earlier, comes back to say, there, there's no way a 2-year-old could do this. Because he... We see footage of him wandering through this forested area at night. Mm-hmm. Pitch black. Yeah. and There's barbed wire fence. Yeah, and Keith was found eight miles as the crow flies, but it was really 12 miles on foot. And so then, holy shit, this is a twist. Keith is alive. He's alive! He's alive. Did not see that coming. And I don't think Lindsay got to this part. I did not get to this part. This is news to me. Yeah. So Ashley, a child that went missing, was found alive, face down in the Mm -hmm. snow. I Holy shit. I just... I could not believe it. And I have heard this story before, but I don't remember him being alive. But I'm glad he... Yeah, because then we get an interview with him. He is 65 years old, um, and he still has the clothes that he was wearing. Yeah, his mom kept them. When he went missing. He was two at the time? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's a long time ago. But Keith goes on to say that he has no nightmares at all. He has no memory at all. But he's not. he was not emotionally affected by this mm-hmm. event. But yeah, I was... Surprised, surprised that he survived and pleasant, pleasantly surprised. And that, I mean, the search was quick for him too. Like the kids ran in for dinner. Mm-hmm. He didn't come in. They immediately start looking for him and can't find him anywhere. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, but it is bizarre, even though it's not a national park. It's just like, how does this two year old get that far? That far. He was that picked that up quickly? by an eagle. Maybe. <laughs> and then dropped in a cow pasture, mm-hmm. then walked another eight miles. He was carried by another eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Damn those eagles. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very Where strange. Where was this? Because I don't want to go there. Ritter, Oregon. So I don't know they how do close that is to um, Crater Lake. I don't know, but... Shit, that's Sasquatch. That is creepy, though. It is, like, right? Like, and they don't... Eight miles? They don't give a theory. Like, they don't really posit any kind of, well, this could have happened for him to get this far. And, you know, like, 1952, what technology... There was not really... You no, know, it's not like somebody's got a... Four-wheeler. You know, but at the farm... He rode I was a cow. Tra- right. I was like, maybe he got dragged by a farm animal, but... Maybe. 
I feel like they would have seen the farm animals' footprints by his footprints. Because they, like I said, they found his footprints. So... So did they not have his footprints the entire time? Or just in that one area? No, they found him in, like, a cow pasture. That was the first time, three miles away, they found him in a cow pasture. A few sets of footprints. Which I kind of wonder, this made me wonder, actually, if that were, that was footprints. Or maybe it looked like maybe child's footprints, but it was, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, deer tracks and stuff. A lot of people mistake those for different footprints because they kind of drag their hoof a little bit. And it almost looks like an actual human print, but really it's like the dragging of the hoof print and then the hoof print comes down. So it's like got that elongated shape. But anyway. Interesting. They theorize that he, either way. He traveled a long ways. Mm -hmm. So then we get back to shitty Idaho Falls, Idaho. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I was just really angry at this point because I was like, I don't want to go back to the story. Nothing against Idaho Falls. I was just like, ah, can we please? Yeah, can we please just? And then you're just like, do they find him? Because we're still wondering what the hell happens with this poor little kid. Right. So we get an actual uh, footage of Jessica and Dior. She's on the phone. There's lots of dogs around. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, okay, so now she's okay to be on TV or have it talked about. I I don't know. It it was like, it seemed kind of rehearsed. They, apparently the FBI swabbed their truck and it's been eight weeks and they're waiting on the report. And now we get Dior's, Dior Senior's retelling. And to me, it sounded like what we've heard. Yeah. So it's like, I'm sure they've told the story a thousand times by now. So whether it's the truth or not, it's hard to tell. Yeah. And Someone says, we realized he was going to go back to camp with my grandpa. I guess that was Jessica, since it's her grandpa. And I was like, he's two. Again, why didn't you escort him? Like, your grandpa is old and frail on oxygen. They, I mean, it sounds like they did a very comprehensive search. I just... Like, the chief is, like, crying about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he still thinks about it. He loses sleep about it. Then we flash back to Alan for a little bit. Jared's dad. Uh, he's still very sad, and he just does not accept that an animal got Jared. And then the ultimate possibility, I have one of my last notes, they, something has been here as long as humans have. What? They just kind of, like, leave this ambiguous thing. Turtle. Bigfoot. Yes. Okay, well. Dogman. I don't know what Dogman is. God damn it, I have to explain everything to you. Well, it can be one of our next episodes. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, I like having know. this fresh, clean, virgin slate of... Not knowing what these things are. Because Dogman really freaks me out. Really? I mean, because it sounds really lame. Okay, it sounds lame. <laughs> Dogman. Really? <laughs> you. I mean, like it's like a werewolf in the forest hunting you down. So, I think it was aliens. They don't have aliens. You think so? I mean. I mean, I don't know if it was something like so, like like not normal. I think it was aliens. Yeah. Well, then we find out, this is kind of the cl- conclusion, two weeks after the interview with Jessica and Dior, the FBI talked with Limhigh County Sheriff's Office. They found nothing to indicate a crime had occurred, and they would not be taking over the case. So, my closing thoughts, I had in 2016, I did a little bit re- of research on Jessica and Dior. Uh, in 2016, they were evicted for not paying their rent. Um, client investigations and consulting searched the leftover furniture and clothing and found the camo jacket that Dior Jr. was said to be wearing when he went missing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the latest update was actually July 11th, 2018, so not that long ago. Uh, three years on July 10th, so it's been three years since he'd gone missing, Dewar Jr.'s gone missing. There's no new information. It's still an ongoing investigation. Shit happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit happens. But also, dogman. I don't know. But, <laughs> dear listeners, please let us know what you think. Um, if you have watched this or know about these cases, we would love to hear your opinions, your thoughts, your theories. Um, that's what makes it fun for us is we, you know, get together and we can talk through these things and... It was a it was a great documentary actually. Out of all the things that we've watched so far, this I think was by far the best produced, and I would recommend watching it if you are in the mood to watch something kind of creepy and. Or if you're going camping soon. Yeah, yeah. If you're going camping with children, definitely show this to them. (laughs) They will love you forever. So we want to say thanks to Lindsay for joining us this evening, and uh, hope you've had. A good time with us. <laughs> Hope you've had plenty of wine. Yes, I've had plenty of wine. This has been really interesting. I love mystery anything, really. So definitely kind of creeps me out and makes me not want to go camping anytime soon. But I agree. I feel, yeah, yeah definitely feel you on that. So you can find us uh, on Facebook, Mysterious AF. We're on Instagram, Mysterious AF Podcast. If you have anything you want us to watch, <laughs> like, if you have something you want us yeah. to watch or have recommendations, yes. yeah, let us know. Please, uh, we appreciate that. So, have a great day, evening, day, evening, afternoon. Yeah, time until we get to talk to you guys again. Bye. I'm, bye. <laughs> bye. 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 She said that there was a search in South Dakota for a toddler for three days. At the end of those three days, the toddler walked out of a fog naked. Oh, yes. oh that's just creepy.